Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Destroyer is the moniker for the esteemed songwriter and musician Dan Behar, who calls Vancouver, British Columbia home. Merge Records recently released his astonishing new album, Ken. And so Dan returned to this show to discuss things like ghosts, Stephen Malcolmus and Pavement, William Shakespeare, some time he spent with David Berman of Silver Jews recently, and each and every song on Ken. Sponsored by FreshBooks, Hello Fresh Canada, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts. This is Dan Behar of Destroyer on the 368th episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Dan. How's it going? I'm good. Nice to have you back on the show. Yes, thanks. Where where are you today? Vancouver, British Columbia. Vancouver, British Columbia. How are things going in Vancouver? Good. Uh, gray, drizzly, you know, back to normal. Oh, was it abnormal? Was something going on? No, uh, no it just feels like, um, you know, proper fall kicking in. Yeah, do you have like you have a normal fall, don't you? It starts right around the time everyone else has fall, or do you? It's warmer. What I don't understand. What what happens there? I don't know. I lost track since things. You know, the last few years have been nuts. Yeah, the weather has been, you know, unusual. Everything's on fire, or things get warm, things get really cold. <laughs> yes, it's, it's true. It, it does it feel to you? From your observation, uh, apocalyptic, so to speak. Do you feel like end times are upon us? I'm not panicking, you know. I'm just noticing, keeping my eyes open. Right. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> but, uh, I'm trying to stay cool, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, everything will be all right, I think, is a <laughs> thing you have to tell yourself. Well, I'm eager to talk with you about uh, Ken, this new album. Congratulations on Ken. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it's really, really great. I... But digging into it, I want to begin with the title, which I understand is uh, the original name of The Wild Ones, which is a 1994 song by 
swayed and, and that's what caught your eye. Is that right? Yeah, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really supposed to say that. Anyhow, What what do you mean just now? I mean, I mean, just like, an, I will, I, I feel like I got, I don't know by who, but like powers unseen, um, like there was a certain amount of dread around the idea that people would think I was writing a Barbie and Ken record or something like that. Yeah, just so people I, I was, I think I was, I, it was like suggested that I should speak to the title of the title of the album, which is something I would, you know, normally never ever do. Well, the fact that you named it Ken, which is a name, like a, a proper name, a, a generally a, a man's name, I think. Uh, Yeah. I think that begs the question, who is the Ken? And, and so people understand I got that suede information from the official bio Yeah. that accompanied the record. You're saying, are you saying you're now regretful of revealing this or that you were resistant to it from the get-go? I I don't think I was yeah I don't think I was thinking straight or I was it was probably like a moment of weakness or um, I think normally I I would have just maintained um, you know silence on it though so, yeah that that is like the original inspiration was seeing that that song was called Ken um, but you know I also just. Yeah, I'm not titles generally just like are the collections of letters that uh just strike me for whatever reason. Well, instead of instead of dwelling upon the title of your album, can we talk a little bit about that song, like that suede song, The Wild Ones? Why why does that resonate with you? Well, that's the thing, like I wasn't really thinking about that song at all. Um I mean in terms of the record in terms of making music. And since then, I've had to talk about suede a fair, <laughs> a fair, a fair amount. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I do, I do really love that song, you know, and I am kind of like evangelical about Dogman Star, just like I am with most things that I'm really late to. You know, I got into suede probably in my forties, kind of like the Doors that way. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> And so I'm really into the sound of that record. I always thought like Bernard Butler was the best guitar player that my generation ever coughed up. Hmm. And that record is just really kind of just messed up sounding. But, you know, and it's like a really grandiose song, like I guess a lot of theirs are. And there's like a kind of, you know, like English melodrama and gutter poetry that happens, which is all very grand. So to see it just called Ken was for some reason shocking to me and just I thought that there was like a new modesty but also um some kind of it just made the song much more mysterious to me uh these are all inventions in my mind though you know which is I guess how words work well I mean uh, in or, your or titles work you yeah know? in your discovery of this fact did you dwell did you delve into why they had named it Ken or whom it was named after no I didn't think about it at all I wasn't, you know, I wasn't possessed by, by getting to the bottom of it. It was more just like, I liked the sense of mystery that it instantly created. And I kind of liked the gulf between a title like The Wild Ones and a title like Ken. Uh, I, I have since found out, I got interviewed by someone who had recently interviewed Bernard Butler, I guess, and asked him about Ken. 
because <laughs> on my behalf, I guess, I don't really know. I, don't, I doubt he's been asked before huh. and he spilled the beans, but it was a, again, a, like a kind of thudding banality of life. <laughs> in his answer <laughs> it was just really, it was really like trivial and jokey and not not mysterious and uh yeah i mean that's generally how things go so never never ask are you are you yourself i i, I gather what you're saying here and i you know to take it back to how we started this uh line of questioning or line of discussion uh are you someone who's disappointed when a mystery is solved like a, something you didn't know about is kind of brought to light, and you're like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> you have that reaction." I guess I don't really care okay. um, as about. Uh, I mean, I'm really into mysteries, but I don't really care who did it. Is the thing. Mm. Uh, I'm usually disappointed by resolutions, I guess, or the way movies end or books end. Not so much because they don't end in an artful way. It's more just like. Um, that's not the fun part for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the contextual biographical information that I, I did receive about the record, beyond that factoid was the this quote from you. I think it's a quote from you. I was not thinking about suede while making this album. You're just reiterating that. <laughs> but then the the follow up. Yes, but the follow up. I was thinking about the last few years of the Thatcher era. So again, a real British sort of cloud surrounding your mindset here. I, 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 did you spend time in England? Is that where this is coming from? No, I, I don't know anything about England. I've spent hardly any time there at all. And I don't really care about it. I think I, I think I was going back to, I, I, it was just really shorthand for me saying I was listening to a bunch of records from the mid and late 80s, which is when I first really got into music. And for some reason, they all happened to be UK kind of indie bands. I see, okay. I, I do like the idea of how like a certain like political climate or social climate makes a certain kind of art. I've always liked that. Yeah. Though I don't know how to draw those connections. So maybe there's something to do with that time and that place and that sound, which speaks to me, or maybe it's just the fact that I was 15 or 16 years old. And that's like always a time that's like, uh, kind of extra emblazoned, like kind of super foundational when it comes to something like music. Mm -hmm. Specifically with music, I don't know why that is, but that's the theory I have. And I don't know, I was listening to things that I hadn't really bothered about in 25 years. Um, I'm not sure why, maybe for a couple different reasons. You were feeling, were but you... as far but like my version of Thatcher England, even if I like really romanticized um, like gray, dour, industrial Manchester or something like that. Yeah. Um, in comparison with like suburban Vancouver in 1987, you know, and there couldn't be two more disparate points in that, right? Um, but it's still like just all an invention of my mind. It's pure fiction, you know, compared to what the reality of it probably was. Right, but but we are living in a time where it seems like we can't escape discussions about politics, and maybe you're also at an age where you're reflective about uh, your youth. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. what's what's going on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. If people s s see the word Thatcher, and that's like a really specific, I don't know. It's kind of like 
a, a loaded political term for a certain like brand of conservatism or something like that. But I was thinking probably more just to, like, about the landscape around that. Yeah. Not that I, you know, not that I romanticize Margaret Thatcher, but that just happens to be the era when my mind kind of came alive. Yeah, I don't know if you're. I don't. I don't. I didn't assume you were romanticizing Margaret Thatcher. Though I, I kind of like the idea of me romanticizing Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> well, <laughs> also, <laughs> what about the notion of romanticizing musicians confronting? a figure like Thatcher and the politics that she dredges up, because that's what's happening a lot now. I think people, whether you want to or not, you can't help but confront political discussion, political discourse. It's it's very, I've, I find it impossible on this show, which is ostensibly interviewing people about, you know, arts and culture. But right. but the politics is so pervasive within their work and, and just in our, we're just inundated with it now because it's on, it's the Thatcher era, Reagan era on steroids. And uh, so I think that's, I, you could be, maybe when you talk about romanticization, that notion of artists reacting to it from a place of kind of, it's sort of weirdly naive to think that you can make something to speak out against a giant machine, but then history has proven that that's, that can have efficacy. So I mean, I don't know. Now I I don't know where I went there, but I, I I wonder what you're romanticizing. And it's interesting, I guess, because if I'm thinking about like Manchester bands or shoegaze bands, the lyrical voice is like so blank, blank to borderline non-existent. Mm. That uh, it's it's strange for me that that was the music I was most passionate about, you know, and that was like my entry point. And I'm not sure what those bands how they were lashing out or if they were just um they're kind of druggy bands and they kind of create create a haze about themselves i like that i like the idea of um drugs and creating a haze about yourself as a form of lashing out <laughs> well yeah when the world is running you down you turn inward right yeah yeah maybe maybe it's something like that but i, I at the same time i don't I don't pretend to understand UK culture whatsoever, you <laughs> okay. know, like for all I know, it was just like a, a sea of uh, wet, drunken racists wearing wet, wet, wet t-shirts, you know, <laughs> um, that could be that, that could be the stone cold reality of it. Yeah. So who knows how much is just like, um, just fan fiction of my mind, you know, but I mean, that in the end, it doesn't really matter because that's all that art does anyway, you know, or music, you know. Well, speaking of fan fiction from your mind, I'm excited to talk to you about these songs on Ken. And uh, I think uh, if it's okay with you, we'll start with the first song because I have questions about Sky's Gray. Sky's Gray. Call for rain. Every day You cancel the parade Give up acting, fuck no I'm just starting to get the good parts Walk into a room And everything clicks Bombs in the city Plays in the sticks Bombs in the city Plays in the sticks, bombs in the city. 
The lyrics that stuck out to me are Give up acting, fuck no I'm just starting to get the good parts Bombs in the city plays in the sticks And that bombs in the city plays in the sticks Really stuck out for me uh, Because I think we've been talking a lot About this kind of urban-rural divide Politically uh, we certainly heard a lot about this after the American election. And for, when, once people sort of figured out that Trump's base seemed to be from like the the, the, the the rural side of things, maybe it's a reductive analysis. But that seemed to be what happened. And that that line is really great for that. For me, bombs in the city, plays in the sticks. The notion that something is really going over well uh, in one part of the culture, but just not reaching other people is fascinating. What, what for you, what do you suppose inspired that line for you? I mean, I think I was writing and singing in the mode of a failed actor, you know, mm -hmm. but one who's desperately defending themselves, you know, like the classic kind of uh, Gloria Swanson, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> yeah, Sunset Boulevard thing? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And bombs, you know, plays in the sticks, bombs in the city, you know, that's, to me, that's a shorthand for not cutting it basically like it, it's just like you know bands who end up on the county fair circuit hmm. i don't hmm. actually know if county fair still exists but that was just like a term for being put out to pasture i also like the idea of um explosives going off in cities and drama productions <laughs> happening in small towns. Like That's right. Ex explosives in cities and theater thriving in small towns. <laughs> kind of a Branson, Missouri, everything's going fine there. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a very literal... Kind of works. <laughs> I thought it could work on both on both levels. Yeah, as I, as, I, as I sort of processed the record, I thought there was a lot of stuff about acting and presenting yourself in a theatrical or outlandish way like as a persona and then also how you're perceived for doing so that seems that seems to be something that ran through as we as we go we'll talk about you know supermodels and uh shakespeare in the park and it's interesting i i you seem you seem somewhat obsessed with filmmaking and theater here yeah i mean i'm definitely obsessed with film and i think like stage metaphors i like writing to them you know they seem so kind of classic and from a different time and maybe a dead thing, which I like. Yeah. And, you know, also in Sky's Gray, it just starts out really um, kind of dour and inward. And I like that moment where out of nowhere, the narrator comes alive in, a, in perhaps a very depressing way. I've been working on the new Oliver Twist. 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 It's a strange. It's a strange statement, and it's very emphatic. It's repeated. Many times. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the height of audacity to say, I've been working on the new Oliver Twist. It's, uh, it's important in case you didn't hear it the first time that you need to, <laughs> that I, that he needed to hear it at least 10 times. Almost convincing himself. Yeah. I mean, I think by the time I, I, I wrote these songs 
most of them last year and I w did a solo tour and I I got in a car in Spokane and I drove to Florida right before the elections hmm. and I played uh, just every place I'd never played before and I drove up, up to Pittsburgh and then flew home and I would play that song every night. I played some of these songs, which is not something I've done before, playing new songs in front of people mm -hmm. and just figuring them out. But I think by the end of like the 10th or 12th, I've been working on the new Oliver Twist line. You know, I was usually out of breath and singing like an insane person. I, th I, th I think it's supposed to be the sound of madness, that line. And to someone who's um, just lost to the world, you know. I think repetition is um, my new trick, you know. From what I can tell, you, you feel like you're doing it a lot. I feel like I've done it. I'm doing it more than I've ever done it in my life. Finding words that feel like salient to me somehow, and just ramming the point home um, endlessly. You know, like I don't know, maybe just because there's like a, a manic quality to that, or um, kind of a deranged quality to it that I also like. But you can do it in different ways, you know. Oliver Twist, that line, you know, when I would sing it, I'd be like frothing at the mouth by the end of singing it. Right. Um, some more like um, more like someone jabbering on the street, while there's other lines like that get said over and over again on the record that are um, supposed to be just kind of like more blissed out. Hmm. Um, but I, I've noticed that it's something I didn't really used to do very much, uh, before and now I do all the time, you know? I, I feel like there's a, at least a part of you that's embodying the spirit of a struggling actor in this song and that repetition might be born of, and that manic quality you describe, it could be born of that character's desperation to be seen and heard perhaps. Yeah. I like that. I like, I like that. I like that read. Yeah. It definitely is supposed to come out of a, you know, the song is kind of kind of sleepy and downtrodden at first, you know, mm -hmm. and the singer wakes up into a stupor, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think it's a bit of a commentary on potentially even the the desperation of uh, young artists these days. And I guess uh, and, and subversive artists, I think, as well. I think there's a, a, a there's a lot of pressure there. You know, I don't know. To me, it feels like a really personal line. I'm just not exactly sure. I don't really know in what sense, you know, but... Is it the pressure to be gr grand? Like, you, you have it's... some grandeur within you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're shooting for the moon. My grandeur is usually... is I I appreciate musical grandeur, but I, I don't find that the words themselves are uh, work very well, you know, like writ large. Yeah. I kind of like hysterical deliveries once in a while. And I do like melodies, you know, that are kind of melodramatic. Hmm. I guess all those things can add up to a certain form of grandeur. But yeah. Yeah. Um, the actual writing itself, I think, does it comes from somewhere much cagier, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. A death star in blue. A rattle in the hand of a baby. A rattle in the hand of my baby. Goes the rhythm of the night. Yeah, you wanted it to be cool. Let's move on to the next song. It's called In the Morning. There's a few lines here that intrigue me. Uh, first of all, there's this combination of a death star in bloom with the rattle in the hand of a baby, uh, which, by the way, it changes from a rattle in the hand of a baby to a rattle in the hand of my baby. At the same time, you have a death star in bloom. So you have rebirth or you have birth and renewal, and then you have a death star. What's happening in that little section? It's This is mostly all I'm drawing from the second verse, I believe. Right. A death star on Bloom, I don't know. That's like a that's surrealist writing. <laughs> it, you know, it, 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 it connotes, for, for some people, that will connote Star Wars, the film it franchise will, Star Wars. Yes, yeah. And it, it, I mean, I think that I was thinking of the actual Death Star, a, a, a giant round steel globe floating in space, but I like the idea of it blooming like a flower, which is more of, um, you know, kind of like surrealist pastoral. To me, it just sounded like Rambo or something like that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> which, which I always love. Sure. And I don't know, the rattle in the hand of, I was trying to think of something rhythmic, but something erotic. For some reason, I thought of the baby as a monster, um, a huge baby, you know. A huge making, baby, a particularly a, large baby. A giant baby making um, a giant noise, you know, like the noise, the equivalent of a drum kit. Ah. Um, just shaking something back and forth. So it's like some something monstrous, you know, but still uh, righteous. And, and and that shift that I mentioned of uh, a baby to my baby, was there some, there's some personalization going on there? Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, you always like to go from the monstrous to something sweet and personal, you know? Right. <laughs> those, those sudden shifts are important, and especially if they can become that just with slight change. Hey, you, come here. Man, sing this songs and then disappear. Man, sing this songs and then disappear. You mentioned the racket and the giant drum kit by played by a giant baby. There's the other lines that intrigue me here are, uh, Hey, you come here, band sing their songs and then disappear into the rhythm of the night. So there's like a lot of... That's that's intriguing on many levels, but the, you, again, we've landed on rhythm. We've landed on a kind of percussive aspect. And then this notion of bands kind of being disposable, it seems, almost. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a rhythmic song, you know? It's... It's got a lot of like bleeping and bleeping and blipping and kind of just herky jerk drums that are constant throughout. Yeah. I thought there should be imagery like that. 
I see. I think the band's line, you know, I don't know. I just, I wanted to have a line about like ghosts, you know, oh. just like, just like bands, bands are ghosts. <laughs> well, you're, uh, we... but kind of like a, kind of like a ghost reveling, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in Skies Gray, I was kind of dis- discussing the lament of a, an aspiring actor. And I, I'm probably, am I reading too much into it to suggest that a line like band sing their songs and then disappear is talking about that art form and, and that the fleeting, the fleeting success that you might have as a, as a public artist? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, you could insinuate that, but I think, I think the record is just populated by ghosts, Oh, you know, and there's different, there's different kinds. Maybe they have like, um, different backgrounds, um, maybe some of them are in showbiz, maybe not. <laughs> are, there, uh, are there gradations of success in the ghost world? Like, is there <laughs> is there a ghost who like can speak from the experience of like, yeah, I had it all, to a ghost who's like, I never made it. You know, does how does that work in the ghost hierarchy? <laughs> I, I don't really know. I've never really <laughs> thought about it until now. <laughs> I do like <laughs> the idea of the bitter ghost. Yeah, yeah, it's kind ghost. of um, the bitter ghost is an idea that I like. <laughs> I think there's probably uh, the most they, they seem to mostly be bitter haunting people <laughs> you know they weren't happy something went wrong yeah yeah <laughs> well it's a, it's fascinating on a cultural level and the music is it's driving as you say it's it's uh, driven by guitar and it's it's very synthesized uh, it's it's a great song yeah you know it's like a, it's like just as full on kind of rock and roll as destroyers ever going to get I mean, aside from, aside from maybe track four, um, C- cover from the it, sun. Yeah, but yeah. in some ways, that one's like more jaunty, you know, more like peppy or something. This is just like, to me, just feels like a really basic rock song, mm. which is something I wanted to write for some reason, and I wanted. I didn't really want words to get in the way of that. The words to me are kind of blank for the first two verses, and then the last one, things pick up. And the singer, the singer kind of starts to address the bitter ghost army. <laughs> <laughs> the bitter ghost army. Okay. It's, what do you call? What do you call the speech right before you're supposed to lead your troops into battle? You know, there's always that scene. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's like that's kind of what uh, the third verse is. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's accepting, one of the... accepting it's you know the, a battle where you're sure to be killed. Right, so you got a, a a bitter ghost being killed. Now this is very confusing. It's uh, it's taken on a whole, whole new level. We'll leave it for people to listen to and process. There was that a haunted house you're in? Oh, my house always sounds haunted. I don't know why. That it was creaks. very scary. That was a scary. Yeah. That was like a. I was oh, expecting was that, Vincent Price to be on this. Was that like full on foley noise? Yeah, or? totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, is everything okay? Everything's good. Yeah, I'm I, just cr- cruising around. Okay. I thought thr- um, I thought Thriller was going to start. <laughs> That's totally what I thought. All right. Well, speaking of uh, cinematic uh, videos that may or may not have been directed by John Landis, Tinseltown, Swimming in Blood is the next song. I couldn't see. I was blind. Off in the corner doing poets work. That's all right for now. It was just a dream. 
there's a few things about it that intrigue me. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, outro in a moment, the musical extended polyrhythmic outro. But the, the line that intrigues me here is, I couldn't see I was blind. I was off in the corner doing poet's work. Poet's work. This is an interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> what is poet's work? Um, <laughs> let's see. Poet's work. Um, I think I was trying to think of some kind of foil to, you know, the lines that came before which are kind of endearing lines or like, you know, kind of, uh, what is the word? It's not heartfelt, but it's like the sound of someone opening up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a word that captures that feeling, but I, I'll tell you, okay. I'll tell you what it made me think of. Like when you say I couldn't see, I was blind off in the corner doing poets work. I, I think of the, the focus of the artistic mind. I think there's a, Sometimes when someone like you and maybe even someone like me is off in their world trying to create something, I don't know. I don't know that it's taken seriously enough by people who aren't in that world. They'll come in and start talking to you. They want you to help tie their shoes. They want you to turn on the cartoons. They want you to help make dinner. And and I want to say, well, I'm in the zone right now. I'm doing my work. I had an idea. I have to write it down. And then I just go. Do you have that a little bit where people are talking to you while you're lost in your world and you don't even hear them almost? Uh, no. Oh, so I'm very selfish. That's what you're saying. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a selfish guy. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought of. I thought of Oh, no. No, you're not. I don't think you're I don't know if you're a selfish guy, but I I feel like the singer in in singing those lines is like literally blind, you know? Hmm. Like someone who's not who who's apart from the world who can't you know who can't find it. Well, how would you? But talk- then the reason. But then the reason for not for for the blindness is just this, um, maybe this kind of petty condition, which is to be over in the corner doing poet's work, which is like not a not a term that makes any sense, like in the twenty first century or maybe even in the twentieth century. I also think of being off in the corner as meaning like wearing a dunce cap or being punished or something oh, like that. Oh, I see. I know. I mean, these are just like, these are things that I, I think of in my mind when I think of being put in a corner. Yeah, but, but, you put your, but you put yourself there, you know? I think uh, you've probably been asked to kind of explain your, your, I guess you're being asked to do that now, explain your practices and your process to, to people. Sometimes you're, you're probably uh, asked about it at uh, family gatherings who, you know, people quizzically don't really understand what it is you do. And I no one asked me ever anything about any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, like when you're at a family gathering, no one wants to know how you what? like. No, I don't think so. Huh. I I don't know, but maybe I like uh, exude an aura that doesn't really welcome that, or <laughs> um, it, it's like people are smart and they know it's it's not gonna, but. Generally, no one really asks me, like, oh, so when you're um, doing what it is, whatever it is that you do, how is it that you do it? I mean, I think also the idea of, like, that line about being about, like, being disturbed by the world or being broken out of a reverie. I, I do like that, but I think the line is more desperate than that. It's, mm. uh, it's like, the first half is desperate and the second half is, like, 
a debunking of the desperation with a situation that's like half true. Well, what is this? What is this? Uh, the first line of the song is the title Tinseltown Swimming in Blood. This Tinseltown is an old, old expression. It's meant to describe Hollywood, California, where films were being made. It really conjures uh, an old fashioned approach to showbiz. Uh, and you have it swimming in blood, which is horrific, horrific imagery. And right on cue, another haunted house door swung open there. Uh, what does that capture for you, That this phrase, Tinseltown swimming in blood? Uh, you know, I like, I, I'm pretty into like apocalyptic imagery, um, just four horsemen stuff. Hmm. And I like Tinseltown. It's like an old, like a, a solid 20th century word. You know, I just like, it just sums up very easily in a kind of a poetic way, just glitzy, horish show business. Yeah, in a way that I like, and I think it just has like a long tradition of being used in songs, mm. which I also like. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. And we'll, I, I, I've, I would make the argument that there's a lot of um, performative stuff happening on this record. Uh, We've talked about some actors. We've talked about some singers. We're at a poet now. I feel like uh, filmmaking is entering the fray. Uh, and like I say, I think we'll cover more of it as we go. Um, tell me about the... Uh, I, I alluded to this. Tell me about the extended polyrhythmic drum outro uh, on this song. That's all, Josh. That's just like the producer's construction, you know? Josh is... uh, Josh Wells. Josh Wells. Who produced the record and he played a lot of the music on the the album. I think it's like kind of a good tonic to the kind of relentless drum machine new wave beat that happens Mm -hmm. for the first two thirds of the song, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Things kind of clear out. And it just becomes this duel between the toms and this kind of ambient trumpet, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's his baby. You like uh, you like drums. Some people don't like drums. Some people don't like drums. Some people don't like cymbals. They don't like the sound of drums. They're noisy. Uh, if they're making a kind of understated music and they get the wrong guy or girl right. or person playing drums, it can really, you know, it's the bus. It's the right. It's not the bus. It's the engine. The drums are the engine of a song sometimes, and if the engine isn't running properly, it can screw up a whole song. So uh, I, I I think you like drums. I, I wasn't trying to be facetious. I just was trying oh, to yeah, yeah. figure I that love, out. Yeah, you like I love them. I love drums. For me, it's the best, which is weird because, you know, I don't know if all singers are like that or especially, you know, it's like people who are really into words just want their, you know, words to be heard. Yeah. But I find that I work best and I sing best with like really, really defined beats, you know? Yeah. Kind of like a rap. Maybe I'm like a rapper that way. Um, you are kind of like a rapper. Yeah. You know, and I kind of like, I don't know if it's just because I can't sustain notes for super long. So it has to be more of a phrasing thing or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or what it is. 
But I also, when the drums are good, I become really confident as a singer. Uh, and when they're just average, I get really uh, more depressed and just wonder why <laughs> any of us are even here. <laughs> it's kind of like a, it's like a bad heartbeat almost. It's like it doesn't sustain you. Wow. It, wow. The, the music, you know, the music can't really... Um, I don't know. A lot of things can slide by if the drums are really good. Yeah. But the same, the the opposite can definitely not be be said. Yeah. Um, I just kind of blew my own my own mind there by saying that the drums were like a heartbeat, like I almost like a Hallmark card level observation. <laughs> <laughs> the drums, they're, they're the heartbeat of the of the music. Yes. I but... mean, I had this original idea of you know trying to go in and make. And play as much stuff as possible. And I had many different versions of Cold Feet um, hmm. to do with many different things. But the main ones is I didn't want to. I didn't want the rhythm section to be blown. You know, I just wanted. I wanted it to be strong and interesting in ways that I can. I can summon up by myself. Can you play the drums? No, not at all. I see. But even 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 in like programming, which I. Th had a lot to do with how this record went down you know there's someone like josh can just attack that in just such such a cooler way yeah and the way that rhythmically the way that this record operates is actually really different from anything i've ever done uh i don't think that probably won't get noticed because that's not um part of whatever narrative that people who talk about destroyer like to talk about but Sorry, can you expand um, upon that difference for just a moment? I, uh, what, do you want to highlight that since you brought it up? The rhythmic, the rhythmic difference. When you when you talk about it being a different process that people might not notice or or address, what do you are you talking specifically about the rhythmic stuff, the drums? Uh, I'm talking about just the sense of rhythm in general. Ah, the attack of whether it's whether it's the drums or drum machines. Or whether it's the attack of the synth, or whether it's the bass, um, it's operating in a way that uh, I don't think that I don't, that I don't think has happened before on a Destroyer album. Oh. At least when I listen to it, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd love to expand upon that, but we should we should move on a little bit. We have to cruise through our songs. We have to get, keep going. I want to keep going here because there's lots to get to. We were just talking about Tinseltown and Hollywood. We have a song here that uh, evokes uh, Shakespeare in the park, Shakespeare in bars. It also curiously invokes a film that I'm surprised you're alluding to, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Nancy takes a vow, Sheila takes Manhattan, lunatics in Saturn. I think I know what you did last summer, you have a cut from the sun. So what's new? The girl thinks you are a blonde Che Guevara Sleeping cars, theater under stars Shakespeare in the park, come undone I have no idea why I started writing that line But it felt like the hook of the song Melodically and I just had to, you know Embrace it, not question it I think Which I know. Which goes for yeah. goes for yeah. a lot of this that song in general, you know. In general, like uh, I don't really write songs like that for the most part, or not anymore. I used to maybe write a bunch of them 
15 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But th- this song is um, just chock-a-block full of, full of moves that I don't totally condone. <laughs> you, don't, you don't condone the actions. I really like the recording. I like the recording of it a lot. And I like what the band did with it. But the song itself, I don't know where it comes from. Sounds a bit like a Pixie song. I don't, I've, you know, I don't listen to the Pixies at all. So you've never heard the Pixies. I mean, I I know them from my youth, but it's not something. It's not something I think about. I was probably thinking more about like um, Oasis or some dumb shit like that. Right, you like Oasis? No, I don't like them, but I was probably thinking about them. Sometimes you think about stuff that you don't like. That's the that's the problem. You've got. I mean, we we were talking earlier about suede. And uh, and and can and and all that stuff. You, there's just a Brit pop thing that happened to you in the course of making these songs somehow. You know, I don't think so. What do you mean you don't think so? We just talked about. All <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned Oasis too. I mean, now you, you're I know. The, you're the one pulling uh, these names out of the air. It's true. I mean, I think for the most part, I was not thinking about those things at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, with a song like "Cover from the Sun," I just wanted it to sound like the more like '60s jangly end of uh, like late '80s creation bands, like House of Love and stuff like that. Yeah, but I'm not sure that's the nature of the song, the way it was written. There's something more like pub rocky about it, which we tried our best to flatten out and drone out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about like just having. There's something rollicking about it, you know, about the song, which I think is good. You know, sometimes you write a song and it's like a certain way, yeah, and you just can't fight it, yeah, and it probably doesn't make it doesn't make much sense to fight it, and that's an example of that. I want to ask about Shakespeare as a measure of success because you have here a sleeping cars theater under stars, Shakespeare in the park, you've come undone later. Uh, read Shakespeare in the bars. Um, Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but but there's a there's a thing with Shakespeare. It's for everyone. It's for no one. It is the paramount symbol of high culture. It's taught in universities to this day. What, what, what do you make of him as a figure in his work, his canon, the fact that it kind of occupies all these spaces? I mean, I like populist gutter Shakespeare, I guess, and the kind of like down and out. You know, I like. You know that movie Chimes at Midnight? Uh. Where Orson Welles takes all the writing from like the Henry plays, I think. Um, I don't think I know that one. No, that's interesting. It's an Orson Welles movie. I, I really love it. But anyway, I think that's something I was thinking about when I wrote this song of just like, uh, you know, it's like a, a sad down and out adventure. Mm. Kind of just like reveling reveling in gutter freedom you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so there there's definitely some cinematic uh stuff going on I, I feel like every song we've talked about there's some some touch there it, it touches some cinema maybe i don't i don't think of this record as very cinematic though i mean that's the stuff that i'm always writing about and always you know like thinking about and that's been the case for probably 25 years but i mean um, compared to like Poison Season, where I was music- like sonically and just like the overall arch of the album, thinking of it in really like cinematic terms. Yeah. 
I don't see this one like that. I find this record much more um, just like, I just wanted it to happen, like short, brutal, like kind of brittle, not brutal, uh, like just hard little rock and roll chunks, you know, just direct, direct songs, you know? Yeah. And some of that impulse is manifested in that repetition you were talking about earlier, like a lot of repeated lines and uh, a lot Yeah, more, just, yeah. just like driving, you know? Yeah. Driving the point home. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I say cinematic, I think I may have misspoken, and I might have been. I think what I meant was, I feel like you're talking about performative aspects of of human life and and, and public life, and it, it kind of leads nicely as a segue into the next song, "Saw You at the Hospital." Saw you at the hospital. Your mind was insane. Your gown was all wrong in the rain. Well, it's a trick, at least I think so, I don't want to know Saw you at the Palace Hotel in your robes from hell on glass Your silhouette says I'm not there yet, but soon I'm gonna be free at last have some characters and and i think it's a, a first person perspective actually of a person uh, spending time at a hospital spending time at a hotel and seeing people in these open gowns and open robes and within that there seems to be this observational meditation on sanity and mental health um that's my reading of of saw you at the hospital and it, it has a very com- comparably laid back musical quality to it um you know there's more it's acoustic guitar it's a little hazy there's synthesized stuff going on but i don't know it puts me in a bit of a dream state uh what's your take on maybe an origin story for this song uh, and all the imagery within well the origin story is pretty basic i just ended up in a swiss hospital when we were touring poison season in europe a couple of years ago what happened <laughs> I just had I had really bad pneumonia, oh. which um, kind of got worse and worse over the course of ten days or so, and not living well and not sleeping well. And uh, I went to go get some antibiotics, and they just said that I couldn't leave. And that's where I kind of started that song, just because I wanted to throw my hat in, you know. There's, I think, a certain a certain tradition of hospital song I was thinking of. <laughs> Oh, like, so like uh, Sister I, Morphine or something? Exactly. I, I, so I just couldn't believe my luck that I was actually in a hospital, um, hooked <laughs> up to machines, <laughs> kind of drugs, <laughs> and that I would have a chance to, you know, cast my lot with that tradition. Um, so I wrote the first couple lines, and then that song just kind of sat. But I always liked them. Uh, I liked the title. Uh, and oh. when I went to when I went to go like actually write the song, it just it started becoming filled up with more um, more imagery of uh, like Im- images of luxury, but like madness contained within luxury, you know, yeah. like the like uh, the palace hotel scenes and the castle scenes. Uh, they all kind of got 
in a kind of dreamlike way tum- tumbled up tumbled together with the hospital scenes um and it seemed like a very easy hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back and forth. You know, the way I write, I don't think about this stuff at all, as, as you probably know. Yeah. Yeah, I can barely even talk about it. Well, I'm forcing um, I'm forcing you to do it. Yeah, I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you engaging in this ridiculous exercise, but I think it's helpful. I, I like to know things. No, no, but I was going to say that um, it was a strange how like it soon it soon felt like I was writing about one one thing, even though they're very different. It's it felt like a lot of the terms were interchangeable. You, uh, yeah, throughout your history, I think for those who follow your work, I, I think it could be said that you seem to um, have an interest in um, sanity and madness and mental health. Uh, do you have a particular relationship with with madness, so to speak? No, no. You feel distant. You feel objective about it. You can sort of. You feel like you're an observer. Yeah. Okay. I think so, unless that means I'm totally insane. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it necessarily does. Uh, but I feel like I can go in <laughs> in deep, like just like the most sanitized surgeon. Just I can just surround myself in madness and still, yeah, and still step out, step out completely sane. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a healthy quality to have. I I'm more like the language around it. I, I don't mean I'm sh- language is attached is isn't just language. I mean, there's reality yeah. attached to it somehow. But I find the the poetics of it, you know, really rolls off the tongue and keeps me reading. I can speed read through it, and like everything else, where I'm really slow reader. Right. Okay. Uh, mental health doesn't interest me. It that's di- something. Dif- that's something different. It doesn't interest you. No, I I think that's different from what we're talking about. Yeah, I I, I appreciate. I mean, that's that's something that's like uh, actually important. Or it's not that what I'm talking about isn't important, but it's like it's just like colors you paint with, right? And 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 insanity is like one of those things, and then like the sunset is another thing. Yeah, I I think that the the madness that you're interested in seems to be based around notions of delusion and pretension and this feeling of a person exhibiting qualities and attributes that they 
they're trying to exhibit things that they don't necessarily have or or things that yeah. they aspire to have and they're not sure all that stuff yeah i think that's i like i kind of like the heroic qualities of it you know standing outside the world or being cast off from society um seeing things that aren't there um yeah just like just all the visionary mystic properties you know yeah no it's it's very fascinating um okay we're gonna move on to the next song uh which i believe it the next song is a light travels down the catwalk striking empty pose is always empty The girl she loves her roses Her camera lens closes On bullshit for the night It's grief It's suffering A thorn in my side Told me hope please A thorn in my side Tells me we'll see A light travel down the catwalk The catwalk uh, for me connotes uh, fashion, supermodels, you know, strolling down a, a catwalk. That's what I think of. Uh, there's a lot of um, imagery to suggest that uh, maybe that's a world you were kind of delving into. Let's strike an empty pose. A pose is always empty. A camera lens closes on bullshit for the night. That's where I was coming from with this one. That's where that's what I, I thought of when I when I when I heard this song. Um I don't know. Is that something? Am I close there? Did it? Is that the world you were kind of investigating? I mean, that's like the stage, I guess, or the setting of the stage, and then the protagonist is um, is the light, and the light is Satan visiting the world. Satan. Yeah, I, I think that's how I wrote that song. Was uh, Satan? Satan visits the world as we know it as like a beautiful light that moved its way down uh you know like a runway or catwalk okay but um, is that catwalk representative of some kind of plastic fake world no it just reminds me of the world that we live in which is a real world i just was thinking of like la dolce vita or eight and a half or something like that like i always do and then wanted to cast more film more film uh, keeps more coming fi- yeah. I wanted to cast Satan in that <laughs> and just how Satan appears anything but just like this pure white light um, going for a stroll. I think maybe I was at the time, because I wrote that a while ago, I, I'm sure I was thinking about the fall of Europe, you know? The fall of Europe? Yeah, just like the collapse of the European Union. Oh. I mean, that's, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's quite a contention to make and then say yeah i'm not actually sure about that one th- that's something i think of uh you know i've thought about uh especially when i'm over there ah um, okay it, it's a song that might yeah. be of a place well it, it talks about um you know barcelona and berlin and it talks about you know fashion is something that seems to be like the province of europe right? yeah yeah totally in in like the old the old world sense in like the 20th century kind of sense of the word Mm. um when those are generally the senses that i like you know okay well speaking of the 20th century there's a lyrical illusion here that caught my attention i know we've been talking uh 
we all have established now that uh, that uh, you love Oasis, so that's that's out there. I really uh, never said that. No, I'm just, I'll have to listen back to the tape. But my <laughs> the the line here that caught my attention. Let on your curves. Your guests will soon be arriving on the boulevard of sinners. It's later than you think. On the boulevard of sinners, it's sunset. On the Boulevard of Sinners, it's later than you think. It's later than you think is a line from a pavement song called We Dance. That I, It's a song I love. Pick out some Brazilian nuts for your engagement. Check that expiration date, man. It's later than you think. Is that a direct allusion to that pavement song? No, not at all. I, I like that expression a lot, though. It's later than you think is an amazing expression. Yeah. You know the song, though? Yes. And are you a, yes. fan, are you a fan of pavement? Are you a fan of Stephen Malcolm's? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, We Dance was a big a big song for me. It, it's a weird one. He has like a fake British accent. Yeah, it's definitely like like an idea that he dabbled with for four minutes. <laughs> and then <laughs> as, as a, a 22-year-old budding songwriter, those four minutes kind of completely just struck me. And it seemed like there was a whole aesthetic there that could use exploring I think maybe I did that for a few years after hearing that song. Yeah, it's a, it was a weird sound for that band uh, on Wowie Zowie, which is this weird, strange grab bag of songs from different eras uh, that they re-recorded for that record. And uh, it's an acoustic but very textured song. And uh, yeah, it's an, it's an odd one. It's an odd one in their catalog. At the, it was an odd one in their catalog at the time. And uh, I don't know. I, I have to. I have to think that subconsciously you knew you were taking that line. <laughs> I have to assume it's, it's really possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, who knows? Who knows the extent to which I've mined that song? <laughs> it, um, I'm. I'm, I'm, I, I'm gratified to learn that it's meaningful to you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Okay. We move on now to Rome. Do not save the day to wait. Get out of town. You do not save the day to wait. You get out of town. This also vaguely reminded me of of Wowie Zowie and Pavement because uh, at the time I think Stephen Malcolmus was kind of mocking some of his quietly, gently mocking uh, the institution of marriage 
uh, the ceremonial absurdity of weddings that that popped up a lot uh, in, in on that record. And you've got a line. I remember that as a theme on the record. The kind of like a turning thirty. Do not go gently into that good night. On, <laughs> on what's the one afterwards called? Uh, Bright in the corners. Yeah, that didn't that one have like specific songs about? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like wedding parties and uh, yeah. It felt like there was like that was like the bucking against maturity album. Absolutely no, it really manifested itself there. To me, Wowie Zowie just seemed just fried, you know, just like. Um, I don't need no minister to call me a groom. Is from the pavement song "Rattled by the Rush," which escaped oh, me there Rattled for a moment. The that's okay. from Wowie Zowie too. I think right. it started around then. When you're coming of age, when you're coming of age and coming upon the age where your cohort of friends is starting to settle down, and you're a wild rock and roll guy, yeah, I think you start to scrutinize your choices by making fun of theirs. And uh, and I think that just happens naturally as you get older. And you have a line on this song, Rome, you do not save the date, which is commonly a wedding thing right? or an engagement party thing. You do not save the date, you wait, you get out of town. It seems like you're kind of alluding to the the notion of avoiding someone else's commitment <laughs> or the celebration of their commitment or something. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I was probably writing that song about, like, a 44-year-old woman who just wants to run wild, you know? Oh. From the point of view, that's, like, the singer, you know? I see. Even though... Is it a single uh, sing, it, it, single woman? Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. just, just who wants to just stay free, even with all the whatever implied sadness goes with that. But one look in his eyes and you know that you're going One look and you know that you're gone Please don't bother trying to find her Please don't bother trying to find her is also here. I just noticed that. Another lyrical homage. Well, no one told me about many people cried but it's too late to say you're sorry how would i know why should i care please don't bother trying to find her she's not there <laughs> she's not there she's not there please don't bother trying to find her she's not there huh huh i think i think the time for me to write songs about um turning 30 and like friends settling down i think that time might have come come and gone um 10 or 15 years ago you know sure oh and now now i'm more into like i'd rather just like make portraits of people who have fallen way way outside of that do you feel domesticated do i feel domesticated yeah like a like a an animal that's been like... uh <laughs> Do you feel uh, domestic life pulling you in a direction that's different from who you were? My... No, I'm my most. What's the what's the term? I'm most myself when I'm at home. Right. Okay. So you yeah. you embrace this conventional notion of domestication. 
I don't even know what it means, really. <laughs> I don't know what I mean either. I just think, <laughs> I just think there's a there's a bit of stuff about go. I mean, your line here, if this is about a a 44 year old woman leaving the house, it's insane to go out, or no, it's insane to be out. This notion of just being outside into the into the world and seeing what it has to offer you, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh yeah, I mean I don't know. I was trying. To, I was really trying to write like a looking for Mister Good Bar song, like a singles bar song. Yeah, but um, you know, I'm, it always comes out. It always comes out sideways, you know, and so there's other stuff in there. But that was that was the original idea. This is a, a another example of a, a song on the record that utilizes horns in a very interesting way to me. Like I noticed, the, the recent Destroyer records, the, there's these big horn parts uh, that uh, appear, and I think they're mostly uh, mostly played by Joseph Shabson, right? Yes. And yeah. in, and in this in this record, I I hear the horn, but it's like a texture. It's a drone more than a stepping out and going big, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I hear that on this song. It gives it a real haunting quality. Yeah, that was, I think, what we wanted Joseph to do on this record instead of, like, the erotic flourishes that he normally provides. He's going to love this. When he hears this, uh. <laughs> erotic flourishes that he provides. I mean, that's a business card waiting to happen right there. Instead of that, we kind of wanted it to just be, like, yes, dark, yeah. murky, grainy, just, like kind of subaquatic hmm, yeah and st stuff that he can do really well you know um that but he just hadn't done on kaput or poison season um but you know like if you listen to a solo record you can hear that stuff those qualities hmm. so yeah it's a lot and it's a lot more textural in general you know yeah yeah no it's it's fascinating okay I feel like we've done that uh, song some service there, and I, I feel like we should move on to Sometimes in the World. Don't normally go in for that kind of thing. As a rule, Vancouver's got a new Caligula. Hey, that's cool. Sometimes in the world, sometimes in the world. Sometimes in the world, sometimes in the world. Sometimes in the world you're very alive You're nuts and bolts and electrocutions Your antidotes, your solutions I can't pay for this, all I've got is money I can't pay for this, all I've got is money This is a got a couple of things that I want to ask you about. Vancouver's got a new Caligula. Hey, that's cool. What? What? What is? Is that good? Is that a good thing? Um. I, I feel like the Caligula is an abstraction here. It's not a. It's not like the mayor. It's not like someone looming on Vancouver's political <laughs> yeah. horizon. Yeah. Is that right? Am I right, or is it inspired by someone? Yeah. No, I think you are right. I think it's more just like um, Vancouver's spirit animal. <laughs> might be Caligula. 
who what what is it about the uh commonly held biographical information that we have about Caligula that makes you feel like Vancouver <laughs> has Caligula actually, as a spirit animal. It actually makes Vancouver sound way more exciting than it is. I you know, I probably should take that back. Okay. Um, okay. It's more just like aspirations. Um, but you know, do you name like a word like that has at least five really decent connotations that instantly spring up. Yeah. So that's handy. Uh, especially when you use the word Vancouver, which is a specific place and also has a bunch of connotations that instantly spring up. Well, you, you, uh, you invoke Vancouver and you also have this line that recurs, I can't pay for this. All I've got is money. And I think Vancouver in Canada is known now as one of, well, actually, sorry, I should say Vancouver is known as one of the most expensive cities in the world, actually. And so it made yeah. me think about, it just, for me, made me think of um, economic disparity. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily know that that's where the song is going. Because you have, I can't pay for this, all I've got is money, and money don't make the world spin. It, it almost seems more to be a takedown of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say a bunch of really obvious things in one song, and I stuck them all in that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of these things that you wanted to say, what, what were they? Or are you saying that these are just poetic things you wanted to put into a song? I don't find them very poetic at all. Oh. I mean, more than the line about not being able to pay for this because money can't buy it. So obviously it's... Obviously, it's something important, and it might be something that you're fucked without. Hmm. Aside from that, there's lines like, sometimes in the world, the thing that you love dies, and you cry, and you cry, and cry. Yeah. Sometimes in the world, you turn your back on it. I don't know too many Destroyer songs that say things like that. Uh, in fact, I don't know any of them. Is this a reflective song for you personally? Yeah, it sounds reflective. Uh, I mean, it sounds reflective of a mood. Yeah. But it is couched in like one of the most ditty like things I've written in a long time, you know? Mm. Kind of reminds me more of like a City or Daughter song. Mm. Mm. So it's strange that way. You but seem, the first half yeah. to me just seems like just lit, uh, kind of a litany of legitimately sad thoughts, you know? Yeah, I think you're at a point, you're at that point in life where that's, you're in the middle part there, aren't you? Maybe where happiness and joy and nostalgia and sadness maybe are kind of crossing over a little bit i hadn't thought about that <laughs> but i think you maybe you're right maybe that's what happens um dan i'm here to help when you get <laughs> I'm just that's all i'm here to do but i don't feel i don't feel like it's a call for help or a plea maybe you're right maybe um don't put don't put words in my mouth i don't think it's a cry for help i think it's natural no, I, <laughs> I think it's... I, it's, I it's not it's not that uh middle age part that i hadn't hadn't occurred to me it's the part where all of those seemingly disparate things actually get jumbled up which is what what you just said which i find kind of interesting yeah i i think there's some stock taking going on throughout this record and there's as the second half of the record in particular seems to go darker yeah yeah it does i think it goes darker like the songs become kind of creepier and musically also they are things kind of get more out there which i think is cool i have 
I have like a certain attachment to the second half of the record, though I find it like all hard to picture singing in front of people. Oh, you haven't done that yet? Not really, you know, there's like, there's maybe one song that I've played a lot in front of people that's kind of like a, a moment, you know, where the sun peeks through the clouds, uh, which is a song called Stay Lost. But the rest of them um, are these kind of dark constructions that I haven't really quite figured out yet as a singer. Okay. Well, on that note, we're going to move on to uh, a song that uh, invokes parents, uh, mamas, papas, dads, moms, Ivory Coast. At night, I sit and watch the world go by. I'm never, never gonna try for the world. Like a rolling stone, always alone with the father and the ghost and the ivory on the ivory coast. Ivory Coast actually references uh, two versions of the same rock and roll motif, the Rolling Stone. You got Like a Rolling Stone, popularized by Bob Dylan, and also Bill Wyman. Also, you have uh, you have Like a Rolling Stone, Always Alone, When the Father and the Ghost and the Ivory on the Ivory Coast. Father, Rolling Stone, Always Alone made me think of uh, the, the Temptation song. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then you've got Mama Says, Sometimes Everyone Hurts, Some Beasts Eat Their Shirts When They're Hungry. There's kind of these... Parental advisory, I don't mean to mean it's cursing. I mean, there's like a, I'm going to mother and father you uh, into this world a little bit. And then, and then finally, if I might say, the line here that really resonates, good things come to those who wait forever. Good things come to those who wait forever. Good things come to those who wait. Good, you have to wait forever. Like there's a lot, a lot of stuff here about life and eternity and how long life is. And like I say, you're, I don't know what's happening here. And and you framed it all on the Ivory Coast for some reason. That's where we're heading. Uh, can you unpack anything I just said? Because I don't even know if there was a question in there. <laughs> there's just observations about yeah, this yeah. strange song. It is a really, it's a strange one. I think I just wanted a lot of rock and roll language butting up against a lot of religious language. And I wanted to, to place it all in some kind of exotic, menacing setting. I think a lot for me of the meaning of the song is just like the kind of trance-like quality of the music. And there's like a, a deadened quality to the vocals, hmm. which I really like. 
uh, it's kind of a druggy song, you know, and um, it's a very intense song. I have to say, like, there's yeah, this... there's not there's not much lift really to it uh, musically. Yeah, you know, there's like a, things kind of open up in the middle, but in the end, there's kind of like a thousand yard stare quality to it. Yeah, and this kind of line at the end that repeats itself that is kind of hopeful, but it's kind of also invoking death or like sirens entreating you to come over to the side of the dead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know that there is much to unpack other than it's, it's dark and it's strange. And you were doing poet's work conjuring this thing, <laughs> you know, who knows? Poet's work is so elusive. You can't pin it down. It's just, you're a medium. I think maybe. I feel like this is one of my medium songs. Yeah. <clears throat> Came to you. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on from it because it's kind of giving me the creeps at the moment, I have to say. I want to want to move along to uh, a much cheerier number, Stay Lost, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> evokes the Book of the Dead, uh, which is uh, not good. Come on, Yeah, there's some. Yeah, I'm gonna leave this to you for now. Where did this song come from exactly, and why? Why out on the street in the Book of the Dead? I don't know. I I don't. I does the dead get addressed a lot in on this record? Stay lost is kind of their anthem, you know. It's I don't know. It's kind of like a beatnik song, right? Just yeah, that. Just like just like Rome. Um, be purposeless lose yourself abandon ship with like true relish go AWOL um, there's just... a beatnik there's like a beat poetry second verse isn't there it's like a chant come on agitation wake up shake it up levitate this burden is just these here three stones that it seems like it's kind of like beatnik and then yeah it's supposed to be in some ways just like a kind of pure rock and roll song about abandon but not in the sense of like um, Dionysian abandon, more just like abandonment. Yeah, it's kind of just reveling and being a ghost walking through the world. A happy ghost, not a bitter ghost. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to say what kind. <laughs> I have a bad feeling. I, sh I should have never. Um, I should have never said that. There's <laughs> that. There's these different qualities of ghosts. Well, what's, what do you think the implications are going to be? Like, what kind of ramification could there be from you suggesting that some ghosts are not as cheery as others? What What do you actually think is going to happen? <laughs> I might have to actually discuss it at some point oh, in my life. <laughs> I see. 
beyond this conversation. You feel beyond like, this conversation. You feel like we've done we've we've given it to, we've given it its due, and it's. I feel like we've given it its fair shake. Yeah. Now uh, I'm just gonna throw it out there in the world and let someone else run with it. You know what my uh, my guidance counselor said is that I, I lean too heavily on the callback, so I'm going to stop bringing up this because I have the same thing. I don't want to bitter ghost following me around see i did it again okay we'll we'll leave it alone uh it's a mystery mysterious song and uh it leads us into another quite strange song i think la regla de jeu thursday possibilities slim and endless possibilities slim and endless the excellent, beautiful woman Left behind at the party by her friends With a pig of a man who is wasted She is wasted and slightly blinded But not so blind as to not see America So this is a, a song that uh, at least evokes a film, uh, a 1939 French film. Uh, the English pronunciation is The Rules of the Game. And I, I, I'm not sure, based on uh, a readily accessible synopsis of the film, that uh, the content of your song has much to do with it, but the title is there. So uh, is there a connection between this song and that film? Do you know that film? I do know it a little bit. I think that, you know, I wrote that song from the title down, which is strange for me. Usually I avoid titles at all costs until I absolutely have to pin a title onto a song or an album. Yeah. But I just liked uh, singing that line over and over. I don't know why. I do know that the rules of the game is something I couldn't get out of my head as an expression. Hmm. It just seemed super ominous to me in a in a way that had never occurred to me before. Like somehow, like all the secrets of our undoing, you know, lie within that that expression. Okay. Uh, you know? Yeah. It's sort of, when you put it that way, it kind of feels like you're alluding to fate or some people might read some kind of religious connotation to the to the game, you know, the grand game of life. Uh, I don't know. if I'm sure that's not what you meant. No, I was really more thinking about how, uh, like in like uh, societal terms, maybe something closer to the movie. Though the movie is strange, you know, I've seen it a few times. I can, Renoir, his aesthetic is so, even though it's like kind of like this specific condemnation of a class and yeah. a, of how society works and how these things are going to build up to a terrible war and a terrible world that is just like literally on the doorstep of that movie. Hmm. The aesthetic of it is kind of light and dreamlike, you know, it's almost like Midsummer Night's Dream. Or I don't know, like, it's like, does nothing really happens or what does happen is kind of just fleeting, you know, it's really, I kind of like, I like that mix. 
Well, you, you, um, you, you, I feel like Destroyer could could take a bite out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the two the quite two, in a way that's quite natural. You know, you have two verses kind of framed by days of the week, Tuesday and Thursday, and in, in Tuesday there's this elemental quality. There's trees and sky and and their relationship to uh, women and men you call it again to allude to what we were discussing earlier a vulgar marriage um i think the first i just wanted two verse you know i wanted two really simple things one verse that was like filled with kind of like classical imagery you know or i mean almost like simple mythological images of like trees weeping the sky's marriage to a man or a woman, just like ancient sounding. Yeah, yeah. And then the the second one, the exact opposite. Just uh, I just wanted a simple picture of a mundane party scene where something terrible was perhaps going to happen. Yeah, and the tension builds towards the end with uh, she is wasted and slightly blinded, but not so blind as to not see America. You invoke America. Before you get to the rules of the game and blindness, willful ignorance, maybe. I just wanted those two verses to add up to some version of the world ending and the world ending being described by the words La Regla de Jeu, you know, mm. that being kind of like the the death chant. <laughs> Which, you know, the, so the world ending is falls in line with the rules of the game. I don't know. I mean, it can fall in line with whatever you want, but I think that's... No, I mean, if this is a game and there are rules, the game must end. The world will end. Period. <laughs> I don't know why I'm making such a definitive statement about this, but that's that's an interesting... That's interesting. I kind of want... You know you know that like that song, All Along the Watchtower? Yeah, by uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with that song, yeah. <laughs> you know how it's like nothing really... Nothing really... Even it seems like it spells doom. It's a constant threat, for, constant for threat. Do, yeah, doom, doom for mankind. But it's like it, you don't really, you're not really sure specifically from what. Yeah, mm. there's action and reaction throughout that song, but it doesn't culminate in any real thing. Almost, I think. If I'm, I mean, writers approach things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think. I guess the wind, the wind begins to howl. Right. Yes. But that's about it. Yes. Yes, I see. Okay, that's so. You're saying that sort of mood, that that notion of um, setting a scene, but not resolving a scene, comes to mind when you think of this song. Maybe. Uh, I think that's what I was trying to do when I was writing it and singing it. Though the music changed so much for the song, the the kind of like driving piano synth and like just there's a certain syncopated like relentlessness to it that brought out the kind of dark euro cabaret singer in me which i wasn't expecting to show up really <laughs> yeah it's a sinister thing but also very upbeat yeah yeah mm -hmm. in some ways i think it's good like there's like a a sinister quality to the music which wasn't really there in my original vision for it right so that's good because i think that matches the words better yeah it does well, Dan, Ken uh, is amazing. We've we've done it. We've gone through every song. I thank you for this. Uh, can you talk about what's next for you? Have you have you already plotted a, another batch of songs at this point? Not at all. I got nothing. This is a dumping. This is everything you have, and 
<laughs> a dumping was a poor choice of words, but you know what I mean. This is a dumping. This is all, <laughs> this is all of me. <laughs> I'm just gut, I'm I'm gutted. So you tour? And this is what came out. You're going to tour? Yeah, the band is just starting to practice, and in uh, and in a couple of weeks we will go live on a bus in Europe for a month. Are you? I I get the feeling you have an ambivalent relationship with touring. Are Are you excited about it? This upcoming one, I mean. I'm excited to play music with the group. You know, I like it. I'm more. I'm more into it. You know, now than I was. Uh, as a young a young man, you know, I get excited by playing with the bands. Hmm. That is approximately like an hour and twenty minutes of your day, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> the rest of the time, you you're left to think <laughs> and wait. <clears throat> yes, yeah. left alone with my thoughts. It's not always the best. I could see that. Now, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I didn't mean that. Uh, I think you'd be a fun hang. I, clearly you are. We've spent uh, much, as much time talking today as, as you are going to spend on stage at some point. So uh, I could see how this would be fun. I'm going to be fine. You are going to be fine. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's true. I can tell that about you. I have a feeling about people, and you are going to be fine. I think you mm-hmm. are. Yeah. I have to ask you about something uh, because I heard a rumor that you were working with uh, my hero, David Berman. Uh, David Berman of the Silver Jews. Uh, I, someone told me that you he was seen in Vancouver and that he was hanging out with you a little bit. Is there any truth to any of this? Uh, David went on an ex- extended eight-month West Coast walkabout. And a couple months of that were spent up here in Vancouver, and we did uh, hang out a little bit Okay. while he was here. You hung out as friends. You, you've become friendly with David? Yes, we hung out as friends, yeah. Okay. When did you become friends with David, if I might ask? Uh, you know, a little bit over the internet. <laughs> sure. And... <laughs> Now is it a is it a situation where he's... a little bit of he came to a show that I a solo show I played in in Tennessee last fall, and and did he express some admiration for you then? I can't remember what we talked about. You know, he showed up for the show, which is a sign that he was interested in you. And and are you a fan of his? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, his the Silver Jews record and his writing are uh, definitely a part of the Destroyer origin story in a pretty big way yeah yeah he's uh if i have an origin story that no one wants to read i I do no one wants to hear it but if i did have one that people wanted to hear or read or see on the big screen in tinseltown i think uh he would be a fundamental block in in my foundation he is a huge influence and i miss him and his work uh dearly since he, he so for people who don't know he basically retired silver jews uh, after kind of coming out, playing shows. He had never played any shows for like the first 15, 20 years, it felt like, of the band's existence. And then all of a sudden he was doing it. And uh, then he retired it completely. And uh, I, I have to say, I was intrigued by this rumor that you two people might be hanging out. I can't help but wonder if if brains were picked, if ideas were exchanged, that kind of thing. You know, at some point, you know, Decades from now or tomorrow, David will have all those answers for you. Okay. 
I have to send you. You want me to email David? Is that what you're saying? You're not. You're not. <laughs> you're not encouraging me to email David. But I could. I mean, I I could email David. I, I mean, we've been known to exchange the odd message. I could send him a note and just say, "Hey, what's happening?" and see what he says. I mean, it's not in yeah, my business, really. I, I don't. I could tell me tell me what he says. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. could probably email him as well. We might get different answers, right? Because you met him on the internet. That's how you. <laughs> that's how you. Connect. We both know him through the internet, <laughs> that's right? That's true. But I met him. I met him a couple times. I think. Yeah, I met him a couple times and uh, went to see him as much as I could. I went down to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to see right. the last show of the first Silver Jews tour ever. And uh, yeah, he signed. Uh, I don't normally do this, but I brought my copy of actual air his amazing poetry book and uh, yeah, yeah yeah he signed it for me and i said yeah I, I interviewed you over at that point i hadn't interviewed him over the phone i'd interviewed him over email and i said yeah I, we conducted a little interview and he said oh man the canadian interviewers are the best you guys treated me the best and i thought oh well, that's nice he's got a soft spot for this country well clearly if you went on an eight, did you say an eight month oh you're saying he did a eight month walkabout in the pacific northwest but part of it was in vancouver yeah, yeah, he was yeah. not. He was not here for the whole time. Right. Well, whatever that yields, if anything, I'm. I'm just excited to know that he's uh, going for walks. Frankly, uh, <laughs> getting out of the house and doing things—that's exciting. Okay. As much as as much as you can walk in a, like a red pickup truck. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I want to go to one single song from Ken. Can you choose the song we go out on right now? Yeah, I'll choose the song A Light Travels Down the Catwalk. Because of Satan? He needs his due, his proper due. <laughs> okay. Is there any... Is, is you're just feeling that song right now. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't feeling it. I like playing it with the group. Okay. Um, I think it's going to be good. I can't wait. I can't wait to see Destroyer on this tour because uh, this record's great. This is A Light Travels Down the Catwalk from Ken by Destroyer. Uh, Dan... An immense pleasure to have you back on this show, and, and thank you for your time, and best of luck with everything. Anytime. Thank you. Striking empty pose She loves her roses Her camera lens closes On bullshit for the night It's grief It's suffering A thorn in my side Told me hope please A thorn in my side Tells me we'll see A light travel down the catwalk Sinners, it's later than you think. 
Dan Behar of Destroyer on the 368th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Antica Podcast Network and available on all of your finer podcast platforms. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, if you wish to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me at vishkana. Listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world on the internet at cfru.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors, Pizza Trocadero, whom you can call for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. The Bookshelf, an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, and movie theater located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. Planet Bean, freshly roasted, fair trade, certified organic coffee. For more information, visit planetbeancoffee.com. Granddad's Donuts, located at 574 James Street North in Hamilton, Ontario. Amazing Donuts, visit granddads.ca. more information about them. To have a whole meal's worth of ingredients delivered right to your Canadian home, visit hellofresh.ca. And use the promo code CREATIVE50 for 50% off your first order. And FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software for small business owners. Try it free for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash creative control. And in their how did you hear about us section, enter creative control. That's creative with a K and control with a K and you will get FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Well, that's the end of another episode. I uh, thank you for listening to this one. Thanks again to Dan Behar for... Uh, going beyond the call of duty to answer my questions about all of the songs on Ken, which is a fantastic record. And I will be back with you just as soon as I possibly can. Thank you for listening to the show and downloading episodes and subscribing to the podcast, however you listen to podcasts, and uh, spread the word about the show, the good word, if you can. And I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.